today in this message, uh, there is a part, a uh, portion of it. I usually write all my own messages, but there is a portion today that is inspired uh, by Louis Giglio and uh, from the Indescribable Tour. And so I just want to give credit where credit's due. And, uh, and also, if you want to know more about what you heard here today, you'll know where to look for that and find that. Uh, but anyway, today, experiencing God. How in the world uh, does God want us to experience Him? You ever wonder that? I mean, he, He's God. He's the one who says, this is the way I want you to come to me. This is the way I want you to see me. He's the one who reveals Himself to us. And, you know, certainly He has shown Himself as good, great, merciful, compassionate, powerful, and the source of love, authentic love. The Scripture is full of accounts that describe God and His attributes and His character. But there are two particular moments in Scripture where we're given a window into heaven, into the throne room of God, once with the prophet Isaiah and another time with the apostle John. And in these moments, in both instances, Isaiah and John both record that the inhabitants of heaven are calling out and singing these words, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. And Isaiah says that their voices shake the doorpost and the thresholds of the room that they're, that, that they're in. John records that they never stop saying these words, that they say them over and over and over. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty who was and is and is to come. There are many other words that we could be ascribed to God as praise to Him. There are, and, there, and there are throughout the Scriptures. You can look and find them. But there's something about this. The inhabitants of heaven could say, mighty, 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 but they don't. They could say, loving, 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 but they don't. And God seems to receive this repetitive phrase. He doesn't stop them and tell them, hey, move on to the second verse. I'm getting tired of this holy, holy, holy thing. He receives it and he says, I'll take more. In a scene with the Israelites in the book of Leviticus, God tells the people, among those who approach me, I will show myself holy. In the sight of all the people, I will be honored. What is this thing called holiness? This thing that God likes people to recognize. What is it? Some of us, when we think of holy, we think of something pure, unpolluted, or maybe something sacred or connected to the divine. And although God is these things, when holy is used to describe God, it simply means set apart or different. So if God is this holy, if He's pure, and He's very pure in such a way that we don't even understand, if He is good, He is good in such a way that is so foreign to us, is so different, it's set apart. If He is loving, says he is love and it's in such a way that is so amazing to us that it's set apart it's different from anything we've ever known this is what holy is and so when the inhabitants of heaven say God is holy 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 they mean it they mean that he is really really different very holy describes what some call God's otherness or otherworldliness. A simple woman named Hannah, who was miraculously given a child by God, described it like this. She said, There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one beside you 
There is no rock like our God. 1 Samuel 2.2 To call God is holy, to call Him this, is to say that there is no one like Him. And I think God likes that. I think He likes it a lot. Holiness is really hard to describe sometimes, but once you bump into it, you recognize it, and you won't forget it. For Hannah, when she bumped into holiness, it was a moment of rejoicing and celebration. For those gathered in the throne room of God, for the inhabitants there, it's inspired worship and reverence and awe. Others who encountered God and His holy presence were afraid. His magnificence and His splendor were so overwhelming to people that God many times, He, he would appear through an angel because if He showed up in person in presence, His presence would just overwhelm them and they would die. One of the predictable things an angel of the Lord would always say when they showed up to people here on earth was, do not be afraid. Over and over, they say that. For us, as we try to purposely recognize our holy God today, we'll be looking at the macro, the big, and we'll be looking at the micro, the very small. We'll be going from the farthest end of the universe to the tiniest hair on the top of your head from the big to the small. And as we begin this quest to honor God as holy, I just want to tell you that each of us might have a different response to God's holiness. For some of us, we might want to run and hide. It might make us aware of our sins and our faults. Other of us, we might want to celebrate with joy. Each of us will have a different response. But what I want you to know, and I'll just repeat the words of the angel to you, whatever you experience, just want to say, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I just want to tell you just of two people that ran into God's holiness. And I want to describe their encounter to you just for a moment. One is uh, one that you've probably heard about. He's the prophet Isaiah, one who is least likely to be a prophet because he grew up in a royal household. He, uh, tradition says that he was part of a royal family and that he was used to the riches, to the wealth, to the splendor. And uh, one unsuspecting day, though, God revealed himself to Isaiah in, in a vision. And it was the vision that called Isaiah out to be a prophet. But on that day, God allowed him to see him seated on his throne. And here's what he saw and how Isaiah responded. I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. And these are just some kind of strange creatures, heavenly inhabitants. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is filled with His glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And with it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. When Isaiah said, Woe to me, I am ruined. You know what he was literally saying? He said, I am doomed and I am unraveling like a ball of yarn I am coming undone that's what it meant when he said that Isaiah wasn't falling apart because he had an impressive display 
on a royal throne. He'd seen that kind of stuff before. He was falling apart because he was exposed to a holy God, the holy God of the universe, someone so not like him at all. What exuded from God was something that made Isaiah so aware of his humanness, so aware of his fallen nature and the sin that he shared with other humans. Don't get this wrong. Isaiah was an upright, moral, straight-living guy. The coal to his lips wasn't because he was foul-mouthed, but it was as if the presence of the Most Holy God, because of His presence, He was made aware of all His sin all at once. And it just overwhelmed Him. It undid Him. He came undone. He fell apart. When God walked on this planet in flesh as Jesus, the Son, He exuded the same holiness when He approached Peter. Peter was a man familiar with the fishing business. In fact, he had been out all night on an unsuccessful trip with his fishing partners, his James and John, and his brother Andrew. He was working for his father. And while Peter was there cleaning his nets in the morning, Jesus was teaching, telling the people about God and God's kingdom. And he stepped into the boat, and he tells Peter, go out into the deep and throw down your nets. And Peter, he, he does it reluctantly. He's like, okay, you know about teaching, but you know nothing about fishing. <laughs> you, you ought to stick to what you know. But because you are who you are, I'll do it for you, teacher. And so he goes out. The nets fill with so many fish that it starts sinking the boat. He calls out one of his partners to bring out their boat. They start filling their nets, and both boats begin to sink because they got so much fish. When they get to the shore, Peter falls down to Jesus' knees and he says, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. And let me tell you something. Fish don't make fishermen aware of their sin. That just don't ha that doesn't happen. But the otherworldliness of the Holy One of Israel made Peter want to go away from Jesus as far as he could or have Jesus get away from him as far as he could. Peter wasn't thinking about fish anymore. He was thinking about who it was he faced and what that holy person thought of him. You know that what Jesus' first words to Peter were after this? After he said, go away from me, I'm a sinful man? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And then he invited him to follow him. Come be with me. Come hang out with me. God's holiness had an effect of shock on Peter and on Isaiah. The holiness of God can scare us sometimes, undo us, make us want to run. But the Holy Son of God invites us not to run, but to come be with Him, to come follow Him, to come sit at His table. We sometimes call this table that we're about to gather around, we call it the Lord's Supper, we call it the Eucharist, we call it Holy Communion. And at this table, we're reminded of several things. We're reminded that the Lord is holy and we're not. And though we're not holy, He wants us to be with Him. To commune with Him. To do this, He's made a way by giving His sinless body as a sacrifice and shedding His blood for the forgiveness of many. And in taking communion, not only admitting your belief in Jesus Christ, 
as your Savior and Lord and that He saves you from your sins. You're not only admitting that, but you're also admitting that you're accepting what He's imparting to us, imparting His righteousness, His rightness into us, and His very presence into us, which is holy. Something that is totally outside of us, totally outside of our human experience. The Apostle Peter, who first encountered Jesus' holiness with shock, later wrote, he later wrote to the Christ followers, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. In the next few moments, along with the Lord, I want to invite you to take communion with us and share with us. There's going to be people in, in the four corners of this room and there'll be music playing. There'll be some time for you just to think, to meditate, to consider your heart, where it stands with the Lord. If there are things that you need to say to Him, confess your sins to Him. If there are things you just need to say thank you to Him, to give your adoration to Him. And when you're ready, then you can go to one of these four corners and take a piece of that cracker bread that represents His body, dip it in the cup that has juice that represents His blood, and take it and eat it. And remember that He died for your sins and my sins. And Jesus, that's what He asks of us. He asks us to remember. Parents, we, we ask that you make a decision about your children, and if they're ready to do this, if they can recognize what this symbolizes and what it means, then they're welcome to join us. If that's up to you in your discernment. Right now I'm just going to pray. And we'll take time just again to, to prepare our hearts to come to this table where the Holy God, the Holy Son of God, Jesus, invites us to come with Him, to be with Him, not to run away. I know sometimes with our sin we get scared and we want to run and hide. He says, don't do that. Come to me. I'm the one who can take care of your sin. You can't clean yourself up. He says, I can. Lord, just help us right now. Help us not to run from you, but to run to you. Sometimes your holiness is just so different. It's, it's that otherness. We don't understand it. It scares us. But God, I pray, Lord, that we'll come to one to be in your presence. And Lord, I pray that we'll understand that you're the only one who can take care of us. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. But there's also a side to holiness that makes us be in wonder and in awe. You can go ahead and have a seat. Throughout the scriptures, they're just, there's described the splendor and holiness of God. And God even describes Himself that way in those terms. The splendor of God's holiness. It is the wonder and awe of who He is and what He's done. The inhabitants of heaven worshiping God said that the whole earth is filled with His glory. And in Psalm 19, of the Bible, it says that the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works of His hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. So whether you look on the earth or you look into the heavens, there is evidence of God's splendor and majesty which can hush us into an awe. Again and again, 
we bump into God's holiness. When we look at the universe, we have to say the observable or known universe because it's so big. There are parts of it we don't even know about yet. The universe is so big it can't be measured by feet or by miles. It has to be measured in light years. You know what a light year is? The speed of light is 186,000 miles per second. So if you were to do that for a year, that would equal about 6 trillion miles. I don't even know what the number 6 trillion looks like. The speed of light. That's the size of ruler that you have to use to measure the universe. Some scientists estimate that the known universe is 46 billion light years in every direction. It's amazing how big. That's 46 billion times 6 trillion. I'm trying to grasp that. It's hard for me. But because of this, you know, scientists are really stumped about the size of the universe. They're stumped by it because if it's just habitation for you and me, because right now, the only known place in this universe that has life so far that we know of is this planet. And that stumps scientists because if the universe is that big, then it's just a little bit oversized for just you and me. It's just a little too big. But what if, what if the primary what if the primary purpose of the universe is just to display the splendor, the majesty, and glory, the holiness of the God who made it all? What if? What if? Then it's just about the right size, isn't it? It is. In the next few moments, we want to look at the work of God's hands on the earth and in the heavens that are filled with His glory and reveal a God who is holy, holy, holy. Alright, I'm sorry if we're blowing to pieces your idea of what holiness is. Go ahead and have a seat. I know that maybe sometimes we think holiness is being reverent and somber. But that's just a response to holiness. Okay? So don't, don't get the two confused. Sometimes a response to holiness might be, Yeah! Yes! The earth that we live on is an amazing place. And that's because there's an amazing creator who made it. We live on a planet 93 million miles from the sun. Not even close to one light year. Where it takes eight minutes, just eight minutes, for the light from the sun to get to our planet, to the surface. Our planet is moving at 67,000 miles per hour around the sun. And while it's doing that, it's also spinning. 1,000 miles per hour. Our planet is built with a gravitational pull that keeps us from spinning off the planet. And it's built in with the atmosphere that traps the sun rays and keeps us warm. If we were much closer in orbit to the sun, all the, all the water of this planet would just boil away. If we were much further away, all the water would freeze. Our atmosphere is also made up of the right combination of gases so we can breathe so we can be protected from radiation and it burns up asteroids before they come and hit our planet. Our planet is an amazing place. But you know what? It's really just a very small place. A very small place. Start from our planet. You can see with the naked eye only about 8,000 stars. But with the aid of telescopes, like the Hubble telescope, which is in space, in which a lot of photographs that you've seen today are taken from, 
from that telescope, we know that there are billions of stars just in our own galaxy, the Milky Way. And this is our galaxy right here. We, it's, it's really a composite of pictures, many pictures put together, and then they try to look at it from the outside because we can't get on the outside yet. Because from here, from this side of the Milky Way to this side of the Milky Way, it's 100,000 light years. And here's the, you are here. That's where our little solar system is. You can't even see it. We're so very tiny. If you were to start counting in, in just our galaxy alone, just starting one star for every second, just start counting, it would take you 2,500 years to count all the stars just in our galaxy. <coughs> we haven't been outside the Milky Way to see these things. But from looking out, we see some amazing things. Scientists believe that our galaxy looks like something this, like this. And looking at some of the other galaxies outside our own. The Milky Way is just huge. And, and in thinking of it, it's really just a subdivision in the universe. And our solar system is just the cul-de-sac that we happen to live on. If, and another comparison would be if you were to say that our solar system was the size of a quarter, the Milky Way would be the size of the continent of North America. That's how big the Milky Way is and how small we are. <coughs> Guys and gals, our galaxy, the Milky Way, even though it's huge, amazingly huge, we can't wrap our minds around it, it's just one of millions of galaxies in our universe. One of millions. God says in Isaiah 40, To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? Who brings out the starry hosts one by one and calls them each by name? Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. He is not our size. He does not think like we think. He tells Isaiah later, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, my thoughts than your thoughts. He is huge. God is huge. And we are really quite small. I want to show you another picture within our Milky Way. It's the Pleiades. Pleiades constellation. It's 440 light years away. Not that far, really. God mentions this constellation to Job. And he says to Job, and he asks him, can you hold the Pleiades in your hands? It's just a small thing. Just a small thing to God. Go out about 100,000 light years from our planet and you'll see things like this. You'll see the Hourglass Nebula right here. What it is is basically just a dying star. Or another one, the Helix Nebula, which some call the Eye of God. Beautiful things. And as I speak right now, you can know that in the known universe, just the part that we know of, there's a star being born every second. 
every second. These are stars that are dying, but every second, a new one's being born. If you go way out past our galaxy, go way out, there's other beautiful shots from the Hubble telescope. And these are actual photos, they're not pictures, they're not composites, it's the real thing. Go out about 28 million light years and you'll see this, it's the, called the Sombrero Galaxy. And we're at such a place that we can see it just where it's tilted like that. It's actually just, again, hundreds of thousands of light years thick because of the distance and where we are. It looks very thin like a sombrero hat. Beyond this, at 31 million light years away, is what's called the Whirlpool Galaxy. They call it a galaxy of grand design. In this galaxy, there are 300 to 500 billion stars in just that one galaxy. The scriptures say that God doesn't have to measure with the ruler of a light year like we do. It says in Isaiah 40:12, it says he uses his hand to measure off the breadth of the universe. Hmm, yeah, sombrero universe right there. Whirlpool galaxy, yeah, right there. Pretty amazing. One of the amazing things that they've shown, shown us with the Hubble telescope is they've zoomed in right to the very center of the Whirlpool Galaxy. And at the center of it, they say that there's something called the X structure. And they focused everything they got to the center, and that's the picture of what's there at the center of that universe. They call it the X structure. I don't know, it kind of looks like a cross to me. And you can think whatever you like about it. But I think for me and for others, it's just one more way of saying that everywhere you look, whether it's on earth or to the furthest known end of the universe, there are signs of God's love. He's everywhere. He's everywhere. I'm in awe of Him. He is our God and He is holy, holy, holy. God is amazing. Just have a seat. I just want to take three minutes of your time. Just in closing, I just want to share with you just that God is big, amazing, awesome. And he is holy. Seeing some of the splendor of His holiness. When you see pictures of the earth, you don't see borders of countries, cities. You don't see houses or people. You just see a bunch of blue, green, brown. Neil Armstrong said, on his return flight to earth in Apollo 11. He said that he looked out his window at the earth. And he said, that tiny pea, the tiny pea was my home. And I put my thumb up and blocked out the earth. And he said, I didn't feel like a giant. Instead, I felt very, very small. Some of you have felt small, maybe standing beside Niagara Falls or you felt small standing next to the Grand Canyon, or you felt small standing in front of the ocean. A spaceship Voyager was launched way back in 1977. I was just a little kid. And just recently has re reached the edge of our solar system, traveling at 40,000 miles per hour. At 3.7 billion miles away, scientists had it turn around and take one last look back towards the Earth and take some photos. And here's one of those photos. And I would think that's kind of the photo that my grandmother would take. I would go, okay, something went wrong with the camera. I mean, you, you throw it out. She was always lopping off people's heads, but 
but really that is the right thing. The, the beams of light are reflections off the Voyager. The sun's light is reflecting off. And in that little beam of light right there where the arrow is pointing, there's a little speck. And they call this picture the pale blue dot because that little pale blue dot right there is Earth. Earth from 3.7 billion miles away. Not even close to a light year yet. Not even past our solar system barely. Psalm 8 says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you should care for him? If you were thinking, Shannon, you're doing a good job of making me feel small. I want you to know that it's not just feeling small. I want you to know that you are small. <laughs> you are small. I want you to know, though, in spite of that, you're known by God. You're known by Him. Isaiah 40, where God says He calls out each star by name. And let me remind you, there's, there's around 400 billion just in our own galaxy calling each out by name. He also asked his human listener right after that, and he says, why do you complain that your way is hidden from me? Why do you complain that your prayers hit the ceiling? Why do you complain that I'm not noticed by God, God doesn't care about me? Why do you complain? He knows the names of the stars, and he knows your name. Six point whatever billion people on the planet isn't hard for him. It's quite easy. He knows your address. He knows where you live. Psalm 139 says, God knows when you sit and when you rise and when you lie down at night, when you get up in the morning. He knows what you're about to say before you say it. And now, we're really going from the big to the small, the macro to micro. God reveals through the psalmist that He thinks of you. And if you were to number His thoughts just about you, just one of you here in this room, they would outnumber the grains of sand. Okay, just think east coast of North America and try to number those grains of sand. We tried numbering the stars, and you get that picture. He thinks about you a lot. Amazing, but true. We've talked about how big God is. But Jesus said to us, He said, Jesus said that the Father knows when a sparrow falls. He knows about the smallest thing happening. And He knows how many hairs are on your head. And I know for some of you that's pretty easy, too. But for others of us, that's amazing. It's amazing. And after Jesus said this, after He said He knows when a sparrow falls and when He knows how many hairs are on your head, He went on to say, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You are much more valuable than a whole flock of sparrows. Now, I'm not going to lie to you and say that, that Jesus never said, fear God. He did say, fear God. Fear Him because He's the one who can determine our destiny. But at the same time, Jesus says, don't be afraid to come near to God. And here's the most amazing thing you'll ever see or hear today. The most amazing picture we're going to show you. You know how valuable you are to the Holy God? Here it is. That's astronomical grace. Right there. It's huge. 
It's unfathomable. I can't wrap my brain around it. It's so big. Jesus, the one who made everything you saw today on the screens. By Him, all things were created. Colossians 1.16 Though He was in very nature God, He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But instead, He humbled Himself, became a man. Philippians 2 God as fetus. Holiness, sleeping in a womb. The Creator of life being created. And He then humbled Himself even more and became obedient to death. And not just any death, but the death of a criminal on a cross. And He did it so that whatever guilt, shame, or sin that you drug in here today could be obliterated on that cross and be gone. There's no one like Him. He is holy, holy, holy. The Lord is compassionate and gracious slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will He harbor His anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His love for those who fear Him. And again, we don't know how high that is. As far as we know, it's 46 billion light years away in every direction. But that's pretty high. His love for you and me and those who fear Him and as far as the east from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. Astronomical love and grace that puts us into awe. It is the splendor of His holiness. He is not like us. Stand with me now as we close. And I just want us to join in with the inhabitants of heaven. Because as far as we know, they're still saying that over and over. They're saying these words. And I want us to say it together. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. And let us say the words that are saying now from Revelation. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty who was and is and is to come.